Hello, 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 everybody. I am so happy that you are here this evening. I'm going to just pull up this section. My name is Lisa Snyder, and I am a medium healer and channel, and I channel the energy of divine source of love and light, and I refer to this beautiful healing energy as healing with the ancients. Normally, we have a 15-minute session, and we do some healing work, and we do a, we do a private circle excuse me, a uh, 15 minute, uh, well, more like a seven minute circle with the with the ancients. Tonight, we have a very special guest. Jim Barinholtz is joining us this evening. And we will bring him on here shortly. Uh, tonight's, tonight's session will be 30 minutes long. Jim has been studying spirituality with indigenous cultures worldwide for over half a century. In his teenage years, he began his apprenticeship with a number of different Native North American teachers and elders, which eventually expanded south in his 20s to Mexico, Central, and South America. By his 30s, Jim was deepening his studies with indigenous cultures through repeated visits to the South Pacific and Africa. As of now, he has traveled to over 90 countries and lived with Native peoples across every Continent, continent except Antarctica. He is a published author, ceremonial artist. He is a painter. He's a classically trained composer. He's worked on many film soundtracks and documentaries contributing to such major releases as Geronimo and The Lost City of Z. In fact, there are so many things here that we can discuss that we literally could have a three-hour conversation with Jim, and it would still probably wouldn't be enough. Uh, he also, um, he's best well known as a ceremonial artist, and he's bringing together diverse people through prayer and ritual to address issues of world peace, care for the natural environment, and the healing of our collective challenges. I am very, very honored and very pleased to introduce Jim to our uh, to our session here this evening. We're going to be talking about spirituality and indigenous cultures. And if you have questions for Jim of a general nature, please feel free to put those in the chat box. And I will do my best to find those questions. All right. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest, Jim Barinholtz. Hello, Jim. Hey. <laughs> welcome. Hey. Welcome. Welcome uh, to tonight's session. I'm so glad that you are here this evening. Uh, Jim and I first met last month when I was in Sedona, which is where he is currently based out of. And uh, Lisa Wilcoxon, who was my guest last month, Evidential Medium, kept telling me, you have to meet Jim. You have to meet Jim. Now, Jim, as you can imagine, has quite the understanding and the experience having worked with all of these various indigenous cultures and, and learned some different so many different things that I can only imagine. Uh, we're not using the, um, we're going to just say that he has quite a knowledge with, with this. And my daughter, Laura, and I had an opportunity to have a saging ceremony and he brought forth some information. And we also had an opportunity to do the, is it the, oh gosh, it's the wheel in the back. Um, sacred the medicine wheel, medicine wheel. So Jim agreed, agreed to come on tonight, and I'm so glad you're here. So welcome, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So I guess the first question, first of all, I'd like to say hi, everybody. Hi, Karen, Lila, Aaron's Energy, which is um, 
Camille, Marsha, Panagiota, I'm sorry, pronounce your mispronounce your name, and Rose, please feel free to say hi in the chat box. I know there's several of you on here tonight. Jim, I guess the first question I'd like to ask you is, do you see a common theme amongst the indigenous cultures uh, when it comes to their spirituality versus, say, the Western ideas of spirituality? Yeah. So for sure, the common theme with indigenous cultures is the connection to nature, to the earth. Um, and really, uh, when we say nature, it includes more than the earth. It's the whole cosmos. I mean, the, the universe, the stars are very important to indigenous cultures also, but it's part of nature, of the natural world, okay? And so indigenous cultures are pretty much all over the world involved with how to harmonize their lives with the natural world. And that includes how we interact with plants and animals. It also includes understanding the cycles of the heavens, of the seasons. You know, we just had summer solstice yesterday. That's important in indigenous cultures around the world. And so how we harmonize with these natural cycles in part also involves the cosmos, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, how they are affecting these cycles for human beings. And uh, that certainly is part of um, many of the religions that people are familiar with. The Judeo-Christian Islamic world includes uh, an understanding of natural cycles, um, you know, like the, the Islamic calendar and the Jewish calendar are both timed with the moon, with the lunar cycles. And, um, and uh, Christianity and the other uh, monotheistic cultures still are paying attention to the solar cycle, the, the celebrations that people have, like Christmas and Easter, are actually connected to winter solstice and to spring equinox. But, you know, it's been abstracted more in Western civilization. And sometimes what you find in um, the Western religious traditions is a sense that nature or the earth is dirty, you know? I mean, the earth, of course, a lot of the earth is dirt, but is that yes. a bad thing? You know, we have this word dirty and then that translates into thinking there's something bad about that. You know, that somehow we have to transcend this physical world in order to be spiritual. And we find this actually in a lot of Asian religions as well. You know, um, in uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, there are concepts involving reincarnation and karma that don't always see the natural world or this earth plane existence in the highest light. You know, it's something that we're encouraged to transcend, to get beyond to another um, higher dimension. In indigenous culture, that higher dimension is not separate from nature. And so I would say that's the primary difference. Now, mind you, I'm making huge generalizations here. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with all due respect to people who practice any of the so-called great religions that have millions and millions of people following them around the planet, 
there are ways to understand each of these religions from a very deep uh, connection to nature and respecting nature. So it's not that these uh, traditions inherently make nature bad, but there has been a tendency in how they've been interpreted by some people, especially as we've come into modern times, to uh, put nature down as being less than or dirty or not spiritual. Yeah. And as a child growing up, I was involved very early in the environmental movement. Um, and so for me, finding a spiritual path that really celebrates nature was very important. And that's what drew me to the indigenous cultures. So you're not originally from Mexico. You're not originally no. from Peru. <laughs> you're originally. <laughs> so where are you originally from in the United States? I was born on the island of Manhattan. And okay. I grew, yeah, I grew up in New York City. And uh, I was obviously in one of the largest cities on earth at that time. Um, but I was surrounded by cultures and languages from all over the planet. I went to museum exhibits and theater performances and music and dance of cultures from all over the world. So I've always been very, un I've been very comfortable with all of these different cultures. And for me, being a global citizen is just a sort of natural thing given where I grew up. Um, my calling or attraction to the indigenous cultures was something that was very perplexing to my poor parents who just couldn't figure out what was going on. You're <laughs> reading my mind. What's that? You're reading my mind. I was like, where, how did you get from? <laughs> Please continue. You're, we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, um, I did my best to help my parents understanding that this was something deep inside of me. Uh, and now I understand that this relates to past lives and to a soul connection with these cultures. At that time, I didn't necessarily have that concept or that terminology, but I knew that I was being called to reconnect with these natural roots. Yeah. I did eventually discover from my father, he had not told me this until years later than he might have, that our ancestors uh, actually uh, lived in the forests of Eastern Europe. And uh, my last name means the keeper of the woods, Berenholtz. And then I found out from these very progressive rabbis that my ancestors were basically pagan Jews that they worshiped the spirits of the forest, the trees and the animals through the practice of the Kabbalah, which is the Jewish mysticism. But rather than doing it just as an abstract uh, metaphysical path, for them, it was very deeply involved with the spirits of the natural world. And the other Jews in the villages and cities considered us to be pagans and to be, you know, sort of odd. <laughs> So there you have so you it. So come by it. You come by it naturally. <laughs> it's in the genes. It's in the blood. <laughs> right. 
So the concept of time, you know, we in the Western world are can are consumed with what we did in the past, what we're doing now, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, what is the concept of time? Is there a concept of time with the indigenous, um, the various indigenous cultures, especially the ones that might be more remote, which I suspect you've had some experience with? What is the um, I, what is the belief system there? Mm. So. Again, these these are very general questions, right? Yes. We're we're dealing with uh, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of different cultures around the planet when we speak of indigenous cultures. But yes, they do share certain common themes. So in Western civilization, we tend to see time as very linear. You know, there's here's yesterday, here's today. There's tomorrow, it's going along in a line, right? Indigenous yes. cultures see time in a more cyclical way. They see it in a circular way in terms of cycles. And those cycles can be spirals because it doesn't just come around exactly to where it was before. It's always coming up to another level, right? But if we look to the roots of European peoples, for example, we're going to discover all across Europe, these amazing stone circles. Stonehenge is just one of them. There are thousands of stone circles all over Europe. And, um, you know, I was recently a few years ago to one in Portugal that most Portuguese people don't even know about called Almendras. And these places are very powerful. They're places of earth and nature worship. They're standing stones, huge stones that are all laid out in certain patterns that relate to the cycles of the stars and planets. And the indigenous cultures understand that these cycles repeat, okay? And that things come around again in certain ways. And so they organize their lives according to these cycles. Okay. So time in the indigenous mindset is much more cyclical, whereas in Western civilization tends to be more linear. Okay. okay, that's one thing. Um, we have in many native cultures also the tradition of prophecy that uh, there are people who are usually of a special class within the society. They have certain kinds of names, maybe certain lineages they come from, and uh, they are able to predict the future. They see things that are going to happen, perhaps not just a few years from now, but thousands of years from now. Hmm. And so how do they see something so far into the future that has not happened yet? Okay. So uh, what this tells us is that time is a series of territories that are simultaneously coexisting. It's a very hard thing for a lot of people to wrap their head around. But if you're able to uh, see things of the future in a dream or in a vision, and then that happens and happens in literal detail, then what is time? Mm -hmm. You know, how could you see something so precise before it actually occurred? Okay. And so on some level, that vibration or that energy or that experience of that future territory is existing in the present. 
And in the same way, we can say this about the past, that we are able to tap into the wisdom of our ancestors, to be present with them, to uh, experience ancient knowledge by stepping out of our limited worldview experience into another dimension where the past is also present. Uh, sometimes people do this through the use of medicine plants like peyote or mushrooms, etc. but not necessarily. There are all sorts of meditation techniques that people have developed around the world that enable them to step out of the conventional reality and see the past or the future as if it's right here now, which it is. It is. We're just sort of not um, accessing it because we've got these blinders on to help us feel secure. We know where we are. And now they just going to throw that off, right? <laughs> what would you say um, that if people are saying they're struggling to feel that connection, say they've attempted meditation and they can't, they just can't feel the connection or they feel maybe they've gone through some major grief or they're just, they're feeling like they're alone on their path and they're just not feeling the connection to their source. They believe in guides. They believe in a greater source of energy, but they're just not feeling the connection. Any suggestions or recommendations for people that are experiencing that, especially, you know, as fear bubbles up and that kind of thing, any suggestions? Yeah. Well, I do think that connecting with other people of like mind is very important. You know, uh, one thing we can definitely say about indigenous cultures is they're very group oriented. You know, things are done um, to involve the whole community and are done together as a group. And so um, Western civilization, we tend to be much more individualistic. And perhaps in some ways, in terms of our evolution as a species, things had to go the way they have so that uh, native cultures could appreciate more of the value of the individual, that not everybody fits easily into a certain mold for society. Mm -hmm. yeah? But then on the other side, because we're so individualized in Western civilization, we have all these people who feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel like they're not with their tribe or family, and they don't know how to manage that. Often the loneliest people are in the biggest cities. You know, you can be in a big apartment building with thousands of people living in close proximity to you, and you don't even talk with any of them, right? Very true. So, so um, I would say that finding community is really important for people who are feeling alone on their path or struggling with how to meditate or, or you know, connect spiritually. It's not something you can just learn from a video or a book. You know, I think the human contact is essential. People need to find mentors and teachers and guides to, to really help them. Um, and of course, you know, some people are able to learn a lot and advance a lot without having those teachers. But ultimately, I think that human guidance, that direct contact is really essential. Yeah. 
And, and also we have um, a lot of angst in our modern society. People feel like they don't know what their purpose is in life. They don't know why they're here. You don't find that in indigenous cultures because people are part of this group, of this community. They feel, um, for example, that uh, humans have a role to be in harmony with the rest of the natural world and to help through ceremony and prayer to keep these natural cycles flowing and moving in a harmonious and balanced way. And so it's not so much about why am I here, this ego-driven purpose, but rather, you know, how our existence fits into a larger fabric. You know, I noticed that when I... Uh... When, when, say, for example, even on our Wednesday lives, when we get together or circles, that that sense of community, there's such joy that comes from being with 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 a group with a common interest or, uh, you know, I guess I, I hesitate to use the word goal, but the common theme of mm -hmm. getting together. And I and it's so joyous that uh, I think that that's one of the things that we're missing in our society right now. And I feel like that's what some people, what more and more people are starting to wake up and look for more of that. Where can I find like-minded people who want to focus on, for example, raising the vibrational frequency and not being focused on the fear or, you know, whatever tactics are being used or whatever. Um, you know, we're going into this new, uh, the, the divine feminine and making more of a connection with that. Uh, so I feel like um, I think that more and more people are looking for that sense of community. Now, um, this actually the one of the questions I had for you is um, I want to hear a little bit about you went to Machu Picchu, Peru. Mm -hmm. And I would like to hear just a little bit about that experience, please. What is significant about that location? I know some people are familiar with it and some people are not. Mm -hmm. sure. And can you just please talk about that experience a little bit for us? Yeah, well, uh, I've actually been to Machu Picchu a number of times, uh, uh, pretty much all in the 1980s, the late 1980s. Uh, it is my favorite place in the world. It's so beautiful. The spiritual energy is just off the charts. Uh, the ancient architecture, the living native cultures that are there, it's just got it all going. Uh, on top of that, uh, my personal feeling is that Machu Picchu is the heart chakra of planet Earth. So, I mean, who doesn't want to be in the heart chakra, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? Of course, the color of the heart chakra is green. Machu Picchu is incredibly green. Um, and uh, through my travels around the world, I've uh, come to experience all these major chakra centers and to understand which sites connect with which chakras. Now, lots of people have different interpretations. Uh, some of what I will tell you will correlate with what other people say. Other things they may disagree. It's like, no, the heart chakra is over here. You know? But my, since you asked me what I feel about Machu Picchu, I will tell you, I feel it is the heart chakra of the earth. Um, Uluru in Australia, sometimes also called Ayers Rock, that very red dome-shaped rock in the center of the continent, is the root chakra. Mount Kailash in Tibet, 
which is a pyramid-shaped mountain that's very sacred in both uh, Buddhism and in Hinduism. I consider to be the crown chakra. Uh, the pyramids of Giza, I consider to be the third eye, sixth chakra. So we go on and on. But these places are especially powerful, important places for me in my life, in my pilgrimage life journey around the world, uh, because they have helped to activate these chakra points in myself. And I think that's part of what happens when we make pilgrimage to these places, um, that they are activating parts of who we are. And our body correlates with the global or planetary body. And it's, it's a very different kind of way to see ourselves in relation to the earth, but we have uh, global consciousness now. We have images of the earth from space. We're able to see uh, film footage, if not with our own eyes experience, uh, wildlife, plant life from you know all over the planet. So we've got this amazing privilege of this time that we live in to appreciate things on a global level. And part of that is uh, enabling us to activate different parts of who we are spiritually. When's your next trip? <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm hoping we can go to Peru very soon. Hopefully next year. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I was supposed to go to Egypt later this year and some, and some conflicts. And now I know why, because I think I'm supposed to be going where you're going <laughs> when you travel next. So sign me up. Oh, Keith said, sounds like I need to plan a trip. Uh, okay. So I just want to check the comment section here really quick. Um, all right. Lots of thank yous. I did see something about, uh, so we're Karen, we are going to talk about Jim's work here. Um, he also, she also said she loves your shirt. Where can mm. they, can they get the, can they get your shirt someplace, Jim? <laughs> this very shirt. They can get bags. They could get hats with this same symbol, uh, at hoorah.com. Do you happen to know who created that artwork? Well, so, I mean, I painted this. I know. But. <laughs> course it's not my original design in the sense that yes. it's based on the ancient Egyptian design. Yeah. So all of all of the art that I do is based in and inspired from ancient and native cultures. So again, you know, this, this gets into our Western society ego driven thing. This is mine. You signed your name on it, you know? But we're we're not isolated. You know, everything we've seen, everything we've learned, everything we do has been inspired from what has uh, come to us through our life experience, what other people have done, what the ancestors have done. So it's part of a lineage. We don't own it. I don't own this design. I may have been the creator of this version, but it's, you know, it's more or less the Egyptian eye. It's got a slightly exactly. different way to it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's see. Um, Camille asks, what does indigenous culture generally think of how modern science fits into life? Mm. Well, that's a great question. Uh, one of my very dear friends who lives on Maui um, and is of uh, Native American and French uh, ancestry um, she has an organization called the Indigenous Science Network, and her 
organization is all about helping people to understand that indigenous people also have science. You know, that uh, what a lot of folks will sort of ignorantly refer to as superstition or, you know, some kind of like a fantasy belief is the science of indigenous people. So, for example, when we see um, weavings or clothing designs that native villagers wear, whether it's in Thailand or in Guatemala or in Peru, and we see these spiral patterns or we see these zigzag patterns, um, they are actually representing natural forces. It's the same stuff that physicists have come to understand. Some of it relates to weather patterns. Some of it relates to things we see like how the ocean, uh, the waves crash on the beach. Um, we know that if we look up into the cosmos with uh, a um, huge telescope, we're going to see these spiral galaxies. And if we look with a microscope at our DNA, we'll see the spiraling pattern of the DNA. And so, you know, when we see these spirals in indigenous art, even in their clothing and their, their practical use day-to-day uh, -day items, we think, oh, that's pretty, you know, they have a nice, you know, uh, imagination. It's like, no, this is more than imagination. This is mm -hmm. their science. They are expressing through symbols the same advanced knowledge that physicists and geologists and people who study weather, et cetera, are talking about now. So uh, this is a science based in spirituality. It's a science based in close observation of the natural world. When I have my clients out on the land here in Sedona, we do a lot of ceremony with different kinds of plants that are indigenous to North America um, that are used for energy healing. Plants like sage, like juniper, cedar, uh, tobacco, copal, etc. And um, I explained to people, these are coming from the natural pharmacy, you know, before we had the modern pharmacy where we go in and buy our medicines that are all nicely in a box. We all had this natural pharmacy. We still have it mm -hmm. and we can still use it. So um, how is modern science different from indigenous science? Perhaps it's a little less, the indigenous science is a little less corporate. Yeah, you don't have to go out and buy it. You can <laughs> gather it. You know, you can access it directly. And um, yeah, you know, I use modern medicine sometimes too. It helps me with things that the native plants perhaps are not doing the trick, you know, but I will always give the natural cures the first shot, the first chance to do their thing. Okay, so uh, I, we're, we've got a couple questions about your work. Uh, okay. Camille mentioned she's going to Sedona soon. Let us know where to see your art when we're there. Uh, somebody else asked about how they could work with you. Um, now, I know that you work in person in Sedona. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about um, your services, what, how people can find you. I do have a link to the hoorah website in the description field of this video. So people can go there directly. Um, can you talk a little bit about your work in Sedona, please? Sure. 
sure. So uh, I have my art in a gallery here in town. I was just hanging some of it a few hours ago, in fact. Uh, it's a long name. It's called the Sedona Center for Harmony and Enrichment. Okay, Sedona Center for Harmony and Enrichment. So people can uh, look that up if they are coming to Sedona and go see the art there. It's uh, in the gallery area of Sedona in the building known as Hojo, H-O-Z-H-O. And um, so that's one way to see my art. They can come to my house and, you know, contact me directly through, uh, by email through the website, through hoorah.com. It's H-U dash R-A. So the dash is in the middle, not at the bottom, right? So H-U dash R-A.com. And then they can email me if they want to do some private sessions. I do animal spirit readings. I guide people on hikes, on archaeology tours. Uh, really, whatever sort of ceremony people are interested in, we can create to customize to their interest. I can't wait to I can't wait to work with you again when I go back to Sedona. In fact, I'm hoping maybe maybe someday Lisa and you and I could put something together. I think that could be a lot of fun in Sedona. Awesome. All right, let me just. That would be awesome. Okay, I'm just lots of compliments, a lot of thank yous. Um, so uh, let's see, is there anything else that you would like to add before we close out today's session? Is there anything that we missed or anything you'd like to share with, with people? Well, yeah. So, you know, we just had the summer solstice yesterday, the longest day of the year. And uh, so I'd just like to share with people that um, this is a very sacred time in the indigenous cultures and ancient cultures around the world, the solstices and the equinoxes. And specifically with the native cultures in the Americas, they share a concept from north to south. They're very coherent with each other. And so they consider that when solstice happens, that whatever is that uh, longest or shortest day of the year, because obviously, while it's the longest day of the year for us in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the shortest in the Southern Hemisphere, okay? Mm -hmm. And so the belief is that at that point, the sun will dwell in the house of the North, in the case of summer solstice for us, or will dwell in the house of the South, in the case of winter solstice time for us, and we'll dwell there for three days because in those three days, we don't notice so much the change in the length of the day and the night. But after three days, we begin to notice that change and the days begin to get shorter or longer. So on June 24th in Peru, since we we're talking about Peru, there's a big festival called the Intiraimi, the festival of the sun. It's a huge festival there. And, um, it's a celebration of the fact that the days are about to get longer for them again. And then now the summer season is on its way. Okay. And so we happen to have in the Northern hemisphere, a holiday, of course it's global now, but it originated in the Northern hemisphere, Christmas Eve, December 24th. This is our version of the Inti Raimi, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so, I think that whether people are indigenous or not indigenous, 
whether they relate to those cultures or not, that there's a natural wisdom that informs us as human beings, because we're all on the same planet together. And somehow organically, we are realizing these sacred times, these sacred cycles. And if we can make that more conscious and understand why we're celebrating at these times, I think it will help us to have a more rich experience and a more meaningful experience of what it means to be on this planet. Beautiful. I don't know how, I, there's nothing else I could add to that. That's that's absolutely beautiful. Okay, this has gone so fast, Jim. And so many people have thanked Keith, Lila, Aaron's Energy. So many people have said thank you. And I thank you so much for joining us this evening. And we literally, guys, please go check out Jim's website, hu-ra.com. Uh, you can get his shirt, but more importantly, you can you can contact him. Uh, I have been to his home gallery. The artwork is it is amazing. It is channeled, beautiful artwork, and uh, I love the fact that there is. Um, uh, for those of you who know, I do have a, a special place in my heart. Uh, with Egyptian things. And I felt an instant connection with Jim and uh, with some of the information that he shared with me. It just, please, if you have a chance to go visit the galleries, uh, work with him, highly, highly recommend. So thank you, Jim, so much for being on here tonight. It's just been such a pleasure and such a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody. We went a little over, but it was so worth it. And uh, thank you. <laughs> it was. We could have talked for another hour about all the other things that you've done. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Enjoy the rest of your week. Much love and blessings. Bye-bye.